What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Carter Worth, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, GE is lighting up the industrial giant on track for its best week in nearly a decade. Is the turnaround here? Plus, crypto goes to college. They call him the Warren Buffett of Yale. And he's betting big on the crypto universe. We'll tell you what that means, but we start off with the tech bloodbath. Oh, that is dramatic. The Nasdaq down a stunning 3% this week, having its worst week since March as rates rise and investors press sell on what has been the hottest trade of the year. Check out some of the moves. AMD, Netflix, PayPal, even MasterCard all getting crushed. So with no end to the rate rise in sight, is there more pain ahead for this high-flying group? What does that mean for the market rally overall? Guy. Certainly feels like, well, no, and there's going to be an end in sight, but it certainly feels like for the short term at least, now the, the path of least resistance things feels like it's lower. And it's funny, a couple days ago, I'm like, you know what? This market just can't stop going higher. It's going to continue to grind. Rates didn't matter. All of a sudden now rates do matter. Yeah. But I'll tell you this as well. I do think it has something to do with the fact that the rhetoric with the Chinese continues to escalate instead of go the other way. So I think that's part of it as well. You have sort of this unhealthy witch's brew of bad news finally seeming to uh, impair the market. With that said, some of these stocks are getting interesting levels. You know, we said for a long time, Facebook at 155. I think Tim thinks it's going lower, but that's been a level. I think Carter thinks it's going down as well. But at least it's giving you something to trade against. And Amazon, look at the move in Amazon, 2040. 1860, back to 2020. Here we are right back again. Didn't you feel like there was some footing at the market today? I felt like the S&P hit the 50-day. We went off the lows for sure. Triple Q's 100, IWM 200. I felt like there was footing. Is that good or bad? I don't understand I what you're saying. It, it, Support held does some that make, okay, Does that make you want to buy? I mean, it's only it's it's stock no, one. It's down 2%. No, I, nothing's I, happening. I, I hear you. We, uh, we, this is a fast-forward market. It's a fast trading show. I do believe that there was some type of support uh-huh. within the market. Makes me want to look at it, uh-huh. but buy. Was there that kind of support, though, for technology? Well, I mean, that really what it gets down to. The technology has been such a driving part of overall market performance. Not only its weighting in the market, but its outperformance. And its relative performance peaked on the 5th of June. When we are the 5th of October, it actually has been underperforming as a choice other equities as measured by the S&P. And that's not likely to be over quickly. It's, it's really just the early stage, at least everything that I can see. Well, it, it's been very clear, and this was even before we started to get into the nastiness of the last couple of days, that, that value was outperforming momentum, that we actually had seen some rotation at the start of the quarter. But there's a lot of things that you kind of throw out the window. First of all, we were waiting for rates to go higher to, to really embrace the banks. And the, bank, the banks have been a major disappointment, especially with the yield curve steepening over the last couple of days. So, you know, you have to wonder uh, how much of this really is fear of credit. We came on here last night. Tony Dwyer has had a great call on many different things, mm-hmm. said, I don't see any concern or stress in credit. I would push back on that. I would say, first of all, if you look at high yield, we've actually gone down about a point and a half over the last couple of days. If you look at leveraged loans and friends of mine that are in, in essentially deep credit markets, especially those that are associated with where there is a lot of leverage, 
you are seeing some stress, not crazy stress, so but to say that this is less bullish on the financials at this point. Not necessarily. I, I actually feel more comfortable holding banks in an environment where, they, to me, they are value, by the way. And, and I look at some of the defensive. But, but, but things like McDonald's, Starbucks, uh, we've talked about those names. You're also seeing it in some of the discretionary consumer names that continue to hold up. Luxury continues to hold up. Energy continues to hold up. So I don't think that well, we're going straight credit down. credit markets affect the energy space more than the – I know it's a different scenario than it was a couple of years ago. Theoretically, because they are tapping the credit markets. Exactly. They've got a they lot out there. They've got leverage. a lot of debt on their books. What do you make of the utilities – Literally closing on the high with the rates putting up to two, three, two, five. I mean, I'm, that's the ultimate defense. I'm glad you're all asking those questions because I think they're related. No, I, I actually think that utilities and, and the energy sector are in a very different place in this cycle than they were the last time. They are not as levered as they were. In fact, I've talked about MLPs. I think MLPs look like a great yield play even when yields are going higher because they actually have completed a lot of capex. They're actually seeing consistency in terms of their cash flows. I would stay there. But if we are to believe what Tim is saying, and that is that there is signs, there are signs of strain in the credit market, should we be concerned about the companies with extended balance sheets who have a lot of leverage on their balance sheets? We were talking to the uh, Goldman Sachs internet analyst today on Squawk on the Street, Heath Terry, and he cited Netflix. The reason why we're seeing the net Netflix decline, one of the reasons is because it is seen as having a very levered balance sheet. And there are concerns here with rising rates. There, there, and there, there should be concerns. Uh -huh. And, you know, corporate debt to GDP is almost 50 percent now. Nobody talks about it. Listen, consumer debt to GDP is north of 50 percent. So it is a, clearly a concern. But that's been the case for quite some time, and the market hasn't cared. For whatever reason now, maybe because rates are rising so quickly, the market cares. One other sector that seems to be not impervious but hanging in there, healthcare continues to hang in there as well. So I think that's a place you can continue to look at. Would you say right now that we're at a point where you should tilt more defensively in your portfolio? I feel like every time we're going to tilt defensively, it's at, at the bottom of the cycle. And I know that this is just a short-term event, but it feels like healthcare, financials, utilities, probably overdone right now. Okay. Do you lighten up on technology? Well, I, I think big multiple heavy momentum stocks, I think you continue to stay light up. They haven't traded well for a long time. And, and, and I would go back to where we are in rates. I think no matter what you want to say, and every time feels different, and so it's easy to say that nothing ever happened every other time. Look, we haven't been at this level in rates in a long, long time. We haven't been at this level of rates in four years. You're actually at 10-year highs on the two-year note. Uh, I actually think if I listened to Powell this week, and he spoke a couple times, and by the way, this guy sounded even more hawkish to me than he sounded at the Fed meeting last week. So it's strange about this because the Fed, under Yellen and under Bernanke, have continued to be very dovish whenever they had an opportunity to actually walk the market back. Powell did not do that this week. And, and I think that the Fed really feels like they must go. Good for him, by the way, because he shouldn't walk it back. He because shouldn't. They shouldn't the, care, right? They sh Theoretically. Said, well, yes. And what did you call him? Who? I feel like you called the Bernanke something pretty nice. Bernanke, I'm not a fan of. Okay. No, 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 yeah, no, no. Yeah. And I will t I'll say it again. If he's, well, he probably watches, what is it, Friday night? He should five be watching. I mean, obviously, yeah. I, mean, I think he'll he go is. down as one of the great villains of the 21st century. That's come that's, on. That's, that's me. That, that's what, but what that's what will Powell be in your view? The Pistol guy, the guy who doesn't I'm exit a the train fan well? of him because oh, he doesn't are. seem to care what the market. You know, what happens if the 10-year spike higher? It shouldn't be about the market. It should not be about the market. But if the 10-year spikes the way it did, you said it before, it's the rate of increase. It's the rate of increase. Does that give him a little wiggle room. It's, it's, you know and what? He inherited this. Thing. I mean, they should have moved five years but ago. But here's a question. You talk about putting on the greatest trade, right? Bernanke put on the greatest trade. He didn't exit it. He left it for somebody else to clean up. Jerome Powell, how, what is exiting the trade well? How is that defined? 
that the markets are stable? I think it's defined that the markets don't have a precipitous drop, that we somehow sort of muddle along over the next couple of years without, without any this is market disruption. Things, Most importantly, leaving the Fed conversation alone, guys making a market commentary, the Fed put is gone. gone. So if you think that gone. there's anything left, gone. markets should gone. trade Everybody with more risk. Everybody think gone? You think it's there. You think yeah, it's I, there. I, I, I think see it's, it in your eyes. I, I feel like I want it to be there. It doesn't mean, that I, doesn't mean like I feel <laughs> like it's there. It Mel's in your head, Steve. She's <laughs> yeah, in your eye head a little bit. Carter, um, the entire market was under pressure uh, this week, and you're taking a look at a handful of charts that could actually spell more trouble. What are you looking at? Try to find some levels. I mean, that's it. When, when something goes down or up, you've got to find a reference point, see where you've come from and where that might imply where you're headed. I've drawn some lines, and uh, let's figure it out together. So this is a one-year chart of the S&P 500. No drawings, no annotations by me. Let's move it forward. What we know is that this minor uptrend of the past... Uh, two, three months has been broken. And you can see that quite clearly here, right? We have broken that line. Okay, let's move on. What's the next reference point? The next reference point, and we stopped here, this is what Grasso was saying today, and we, we held right at that line. Um, second reference point. Finally, let's keep going. Third reference point, were we to just simply come down to this trend line, um, whether you this way or draw the lines another way, the tops from which we broke out, put them all together, were we to simply come down to this reference point, this would imply 2,800. Again, we're only down about 2.8% peak to trough. That would be about a 4.5% decline all in. How does that stand in comparison to the declines of the past six months? Well, last chart. We have had a 4.5, we've had a 2.4, a 3.5, a 2.1, a 1.8. Were we simply to get down again to both the tops from which we broke out and the trend line, it would be about a 4.5% move. What's so funny is that's nothing. And yet here we are, and rightly so, talking about, my gosh, so much has happened. Nothing's happened. This is a garden variety. But the main thing I would point out is this, that we are back below the highs of January. That is the issue. We never really got above that. And finally, the equal weight S&P never actually did get above this level. My hunch is we're not just going to be done two days of selling. More to go. I'm a huge Carter. You know, I, he does we that show are. every Friday at 5.30, that options, options action. He's fantastic. But it's weird you have to bring show. it up every time as if you almost don't believe yourself. No, I, it, it's it, a, because every time he comes on, he's better than the last time. Is there going to be a question I mean, here for Carter? I, there is a question for Carter. Right, because he almost, he almost answered the question. If we do, in fact, break that line, will technicians such as yourself say, you know what, there's a very good chance, although not perfect, we put in a double top in the S&P from the January high? Right. So... Let's put that in context. If you were to say where we are, the S&P itself got above that high. But again, the equal weight did not. And only three sectors of the 11 actually are above that January high. New York Stock Exchange composite is not. The mid cap is below. That is the key issue. Are we basically, now it's never going to be to the penny. Can you go a little above, a little below? But are we basically contending with stuck at that blow off peak associated with record inflows by retail customers into ETFs? Um, I think so. Stuck at the top. I'm not going to invite Carter back. What? It's so weird. For, uh, for we're just going to have to I'm see if he ends up back on the desk after ah, this week. Suspense. <laughs> Coming up, check out shares of General Electric lighting up, having its best week in nearly a decade. So are we finally seeing the turnaround shareholders have been promised? Plus, it's judgment day for the banks. The financials kicking off earnings next week, and there is one name the traders think could be the big loser. We'll tell you what that is. And later, the good news for Bitcoin just won't stop. So where is that crypto rally? 
Spencer Bogart of Blockchain Capital says don't lose faith yet. He'll be here to explain why. We are live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. One bright light in the sell-off today. General Electric shares are up a staggering 17% this week, making it the best week for the stock since 2009, as it looks like investors are finally believing in a turnaround. Bob Pisani has more for us on the floor of the NYSE. Hi, Bob. Hi, Melissa. Is this the bottom for GE? It's up 17% this week after hitting the lowest level since 2009 a few weeks ago. Investors have cheered the appointment of former Danaher CEO Larry Culp as chairman and CEO is a sign GE is not irreparably damaged since Mr. Kolb has had a sterling reputation in his 14 years at Danaher. Indeed, options activity has been strong since the appointment, suggesting some investors may be seeing a floor in shares. Now, to give them some wiggle room, the company also did some house cleaning. They announced the free cash flow and earnings will fall short of previous guidance due to weaker performance in the power division in the wake of the acquisition of French company Alstom in 2006. Still, there's plenty of issues for the new CEO. The 12-cent quarterly dividend, 3.7% yield, it's sweeping up almost all of the discretionary cash. Can they keep it at that level? And there's the pension issue, $34 billion pre-tax shortfall at the end of 2017. Now, Mr. Kolb has a big incentive. His new pay package will give him $21 million in salary bonuses and stock for the next four years. But if the stock is up more than 50%, he could get an additional $47 million. That's a payout. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thanks, Bob. Wow. Have a great weekend. And Grasso, you actually uh, you bought so, around these So I've been, I've been long it for a couple of months. I, bought, I averaged down on it. I was, it was sucking wind for the longest oh. time. It's, not, oh. it's, still not, oh. it's still not above my average right now. But I think Tim showed a little shock at the pay package. That's what you were showing shock to, because I was shocked at the pay package that Culp has. He's got a, uh, it's around $33 or so well, before that kicks in. So I do think it trades higher. Mm -hmm. I am staying long. Well, it, it's interesting because, again, incenting a CEO based upon a stock price sometimes can prove to be actually not aligning the interest of shareholders. I know that sounds crazy, but it could actually be, well, we won't get into it. We've seen it before. I, I think the most important issue for GE is all about positioning. I actually think that the things that are driving the stock move right now is that nobody's in this stock. I think the short interest, I've talked about this, I've looked at the positioning, the shorts are out of the name. A lot of the big institutions have lightened up dramatically. That, to me, gives you at least a clear runway to react to fundamentals, which aren't going to be extraordinary, but the bar is so low that I agree with Steve. Is the stock out of the woods technically, Carter? Well, I mean, the, the first issue is when you have this long, protracted downtrend that seems to be unending, and then you get a gap. Let's say we didn't know the news and you were just looking at price action. Hold on, when did he get back here? Yeah, uh, well, I just invited myself in. back. Oh, guys, I mean, that's yeah. so weird, but I thought, I I thought we were going to talk about this. Get on this. with the show. I mean, so, I thought... <laughs> I invite him back right now, yeah, all right? And he's exactly. here. You said anyway, we... Uh, anyway, we were just sorry. looking at the chart. Yeah, you we saw this gap. The chart before I so rudely interrupted. And then um, <laughs> the issue is, let's say we didn't know the news and there was a heavy volume gap like that on 300 million shares, and you were just sitting at... And, and it didn't even have a name on it. You would certainly ask, was something said? Did they have FDA approval? Was there an earnings beat? What would cause a move like that? We now, of course, know what it is. It's a, a major operator coming in to change it. Does that set the low? 
I think it does. It does. I think it technically. does. Technically. What do you think? Does it we, set the low? We did, we, what do we do when we go up to that, that smart The more board? you know? The more you know. And yes. we talked, and Tim mentioned the amount of, traded 140 million shares that day. It traded about $11.5. We said three reasons why maybe a bottom's in. Huge volume, they're still in viable businesses, and they've addressed their problems. So I think the stock continues to rally, but it rallies into October 25th earnings. Now, you asked Carter a question. Are they out of the woods? Remember yes. the Wizard of Oz? When they all come out of, they all like, they wake up that from the poppy. That scared me, by the way. That was a no, scary movie quickly, with the monkeys. And and we're out of the scary. woods here. Remember that whole thing? And Is they were that out in of the, the Wizard woods. of Oz? And they went to the wizard's house. And But you know what? They weren't out of the woods because they still had to go get Don't the broom from the witch. You're so saying that you're, they're going to kitchen sink the it on October 25th. In the short 25th. term, on October 25th is when they try to get the witch's broom. makes new lows. If you could have been one character on the Wizard of Oz, who would it have been? Scarecrow. Really? I would have had you as the Tin Man. No heart. That's what you're you, saying. You interpret that any way you want. Continue well, to discuss to as we take it. a break. For more on the GE Turnaround, log on to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. You may have gotten rejected from Yale, but you know who didn't? Crypto. That's right. Yale CIO David Swenson is investing in two cryptocurrency dedicated funds. This caps off a remarkable week for crypto. Earlier this week, legendary financial advisor Rick Edelman became an investor and advisor for Bitwise. And TD Ameritrade announced that it was investing in a crypto exchange, eRisks. But despite all the good news, there was no rally for Bitcoin. Our next guest, however, says that this has been the best week for crypto all year and things are about to get even better. Blockchain Capital Partner Spencer Bogart joins us now from San Francisco. Spencer, good to see you. How could Thanks this so possibly have been the best week for crypto all year when we saw virtually no movement in Bitcoin? Sure. I'd say it's a function of the market. I mean, look, towards the end of last year when we're in the peak of this bull market, bad news seemed to have no effect on the markets. And I'd say now we're seeing the other side of that, where we have a week of amazing news with TD, Rick Edelman, and Yale and it has almost no effect on price. But what I think is important is that these are the important building blocks to leading more institutional capital into the space. Would it have been more bullish, wouldn't it have been more bullish, if Swenson had actually invested in cryptocurrencies themselves as opposed to funds which invest in crypto-related businesses? 
Absolutely. I definitely think that that's the next step that we'll start to see endowments take is to go direct into the markets. But I think for now there's a lot of uncertainty about uh, at what will be the winners. And so it makes more sense to deploy to a fund. And plus for a lot of them they're not quite yet to deal with um, some of the service providers, some of the custodians and, and accountants that you would otherwise want to see with something like an endowment. When you take a look at the, the price action, Spencer, what makes you think that the next catalyst, the next great headline is actually going to be a catalyst when we had three great ones this week and nothing happened? At what point do you say, you know what, maybe this trade's not working? <laughs> sure. I mean, I think that, look, we're down about 70 percent from our highs. So I, I think that Bitcoin is close to bottoming, and so is the rest of the crypto market. So I think it's going to take a little bit of a little bit of time. But each of these news items is a piece of Kindle that we're going to throw onto a future crypto bonfire when when we have the next bull market. Hey, Spencer, it's Tim. So if you fell asleep for the last six months, you feel like nothing had happened in in the, the liquidity, the liquidity or the traded markets. But it, how about a bonfire in the private markets? Give us some insight of what's going on in the VC world, because my guess is it's very different than what we see in the Bitcoin chart on a daily basis. Sure. I mean, I'd say overall, the private markets are lacking the public crypto markets by just a couple of months. So when we started to see the public crypto prices come down, we started to see the valuations and the raise sizes on some of the private deals going on also come down. But it took a little bit of a lag. And I'd say that's still occurring today. And I'd expect for uh, those to continue coming down over maybe the next six months or so. All right. Spencer, thanks so much for your time. We do appreciate it. Spencer Bogart, Blockchain so Capital. Always great to see you. Carter, I want to go to you on, on this chart. I mean, it, it almost as though it stopped trading. I mean, literally, it's like flat as a board. I don't see anything particularly directional. Um, sometimes things are in equilibrium price. It doesn't look here now as though there's any imminent weakness or strength. Uh, it's just there. It's buyers and sellers are matched off evenly. Huh. But I, I would argue that it's this is bullish for, for Bitcoin. I mean, ultimately, putting in this kind of a base with the kind of volatility we had, actually seeing some stability in the price. But it's really like it is held this level during some bad times. I, I would prefer to be half full on the glass there. Wait, what's that saying that Louise Yamada likes to? The longer the, longer the, base, the, base, the, the higher, higher in, in space. Outer space. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about the outer part, but <laughs> I in think space. you can interpret that in many ways, in by the way. I, I, you know, I will. I think not that give it refers to a long right base on a chart and it could break out. And I would is, say, is that the way you see I would chart? push back on Louise okay. Yamada's uh, spinal tap reference by saying, <laughs> Market doesn't give you a long time to sell the highs, or in this case, buy the lows. We've been at this level for quite some time. It leads me to believe there's one more washout to the downside. And also, That's when Louise is talking about that, she's talking about huge long bases over multi-year multi years, period. not this six is, months. No, or no but this whatever. is this is this is. If you think about Bitcoin and its trading history and the volatility in that, this is an extraordinary period. I mean, I don't. I mean, even in, even the guys that said, "Hey, we're still up." Uh, year over year would point out that this lack of volatility is extraordinary. Doesn't the base, doesn't it matter in terms of examining past bases? I mean, is, shouldn't the base be relative to the current, the, the asset class itself? Sure, of course. And if you think about that precondition, it's a long protracted decline. This is, this is an instrument that's just still coming off of an epic high. Right. I mean, it's not a base. There's really. not enough data there. There's not a, if you if you pull back to a longer, longer term, it's, it's, it's got still to just just blips off the right. High. Right. Right. Exactly. Time for the final Whoa. trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim. I tell you what, I think fast food actually has been defensive because the consumers are laughing well. Wendy's has been generating free cash flow like this stock here. Carter Braxton Worth. Disney and Dow stock, defensive stock.
Steve Grasso. We had a pretty lengthy debate as far as for a Saturday, uh, Saturday I almost said, for, for a Friday You're on GE. You're getting ahead of yourself. I did. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> for GE, uh -huh. I'm still long it. I do think that this thing is coiled to move much higher from here at GE. Chris Sale on the hill tonight for the Red Sox. Mel hasn't really pitched a lot in the last couple months. What do you think you're getting out of Chris Sale tonight? Would you go? Would you say four innings, one run ball? Would you take that? I would say at least at least three. At least three <laughs> innings. Brilliant. You're breaking down baseball. That's like the kind of that's, that's, that's what and you that's get what here on Fast Money. PSX <laughs> and the earnings on the 25th of October, sister. All right, that does it for us here on Fast. We'll see you back here on Monday at five. Do not move. Options action starts right after this break. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.